This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Mother Jones. Chapter 10 The March of the Mill Children. In the spring of 1903 I went to Kensington, Pennsylvania, where 75,000 textile workers were on strike. Of this number, at least 10,000 were little children. The workers were striking for more pay and shorter hours. Every day little children came into Union headquarters, some with their hands off, some with the thumb missing, some with their fingers off at the knuckle. They were stooped things, round-shouldered and skinny. Many of them were not over ten years of age, and the state law prohibited their working before they were twelve years of age. The law was poorly enforced, and the mothers of these children often swore falsely as to their children's age. In a single block in Kensington, fourteen women, mothers of twenty-two children all under twelve, explained it was a question of starvation or perjury, that the fathers had been killed or maimed at the mines. I asked the newspaper men why they didn't publish the facts about child labor in Pennsylvania. They said they couldn't because the mill owners had stock in the papers. Well, I've got stock in these little children, said I, and I'll arrange a little publicity. We assembled a number of boys and girls one morning in Independence Park, and from there we arranged to parade with banners to the courthouse where we would hold a meeting. A great crowd gathered in the public square in front of the city hall. I put the little boys with their fingers off and hands crushed and maimed on a platform. I held up their mutilated hands and showed them to the crowd and made the statement that Philadelphia's mansions were built on the broken bones, the quivering hearts and drooping heads of these children, that their little lives went out to make wealth for others that neither state or city officials paid any attention to these wrongs, that they did not care that these children were to be the future citizens of the nation. The officials of the city hall were standing by the open windows. I held the little ones of the mills high up above the heads of the crowd and pointed to their puny arms and legs and hollow chests. They were light to lift. I called upon the millionaire manufacturers to cease their moral murders, and I cried to the officials in the open windows opposite, Some day the workers will take possession of your city hall, and when we do, no child will be sacrificed on the altar of profit. The officials quickly closed the windows, as they had closed their eyes and hearts. The reporters quoted my statement that Philadelphia mansions were built on the broken bones and quivering hearts of children. The Philadelphia papers and the New York papers got into a squabble with each other over the question. The universities discussed it. Preachers began talking. That was what I wanted. Public attention on the subject of child labor. The matter quieted down for a while, and I concluded the people needed stirring up again. The liberty bell that a century ago rang out for freedom against tyranny was touring the country, and crowds were coming to see it everywhere. That gave me an idea. 
these little children were striking for some of the freedom that childhood ought to have, and I decided that the children and I would go on a tour. I asked some of the parents if they would let me have their little boys and girls for a week or ten days, promising to bring them back safe and sound. They consented. A man named Sweeney was marshal for our army. A few men and women went with me to help with the children. They were on strike, and I thought they might as well have a little recreation. The children carried knapsacks on their backs, which was a knife and fork, a tin cup and plate. We took along a wash-boiler in which to cook the food on the road. One little fellow had a drum, and another had a fife. That was our band. We carried banners that said, We want more schools and less hospitals. We want time to play. Prosperity is here. Where is ours? We started from Philadelphia, where we held a great mass meeting. I decided to go with the children to see President Roosevelt, to ask him to have Congress pass a law prohibiting the exploitation of childhood. I thought that President Roosevelt might see these mill children and compare them with his own little ones who were spending the summer on the seashore at Oyster Bay. I thought, too, out of politeness, we might call on Morgan in Wall Street, who owned the mines where many of these children's fathers worked. The children were very happy, having plenty to eat, taking baths in the brooks and rivers every day. I thought, when the strike is over and they go back to the mills, they will never have another holiday like this. All along the line of march, the farmers drove out to meet us with wagon loads of fruit and vegetables. Their wives brought the children clothes and money. The interurban trainmen would stop their trains and give us free rides. Marshal Sweeney and I would go ahead to the towns and arrange sleeping quarters for the children, and secure meeting halls. As we marched on, it grew terribly hot. There was no rain, and the roads were heavy with dust. From time to time, we had to send some of the children back to their homes. They were too weak to stand the march. We were on the outskirts of New Trenton, New Jersey, cooking our lunch in the wash-boiler, when the conductor on the interurban car stopped and told us the police were coming down to notify us that we could not enter the town. There were mills in the town, and the mill owners didn't like our coming. I said, All right, the police will be just in time for lunch. Sure enough, the police came and we invited them to dine with us. They looked at the little gathering of children with their tin plates and cups around the wash-boiler. They just smiled and spoke kindly to the children, and said nothing at all about not going into the city. We went in, held our meeting, and it was the wives of the police who took the little children and cared for them that night, sending them back in the morning with a nice lunch rolled up in paper napkins. Everywhere we had meetings, showing up with living children the horrors of child labor. At one town the mayor said we could not hold a meeting because he did not have sufficient police protection. These little children have never known any sort of protection, Your Honor, I said, and they are used to going without it. He let us have our meeting. One night in Princeton, New Jersey, we slept in the big cool barn on Grover Cleveland's great estate. The heat became intense. There was much suffering in our ranks, for our little ones were not robust. 
the proprietor of the leading hotel sent for me mother he said order what you want and all you want for your army and there's nothing to pay i called on the mayor of princeton and asked for permission to speak opposite the campus of the university i said i wanted to speak on higher education the mayor gave me permission a great crowd gathered professors and students and the people and i told them that the rich robbed these little children of any education of the lowest order that they might send their sons and daughters to places of higher education that they used the hands and feet of little children that they might buy automobiles for their wives and police dogs for their daughters to talk french to i said the mill owners take babies almost from the cradle and i showed those professors children in our army who could scarcely read or write because they were working ten hours a day in the silk mills of pennsylvania here's a textbook on economics i said pointing to a little chap james ashworth who was ten years old and who was stooped over like an old man from carrying bundles of yarn that weighed seventy-five pounds he gets three dollars a week and his sister who is fourteen gets six dollars they work in a carpet factory ten hours a day while the children of the rich are getting their higher education that night we camped on the banks of stony brook where years and years before the ragged revolutionary army camped washington's brave soldiers that made their fight for freedom from jersey city we marched to hoboken I sent a committee over to the New York Chief of Police, Epstein, asking for permission to march up Fourth Avenue to Madison Square Garden, where I wanted to hold a meeting. The chief refused, and forbade our entrance to the city. I went over myself to New York and saw Mayor Seth Lowe. The mayor was most courteous, but he said he would have to support the police commissioner. I asked him what the reason was for refusing us entrance to the city and he said that we were not citizens of New York. Oh, I think we will clear that up, Mr. Mayor, I said. Permit me to call your attention to an incident which took place in this nation just a year ago. A piece of rotten royalty came over here from Germany, called Prince Henry. The Congress of the United States voted $45,000 to fill that fellow's stomach three weeks and to entertain him. His Highness was getting four million dollars dividends out of the blood of the workers of this country. Was he a citizen of this land? And it was reported, Mr. Mayor, that you and all the officials of New York and the University Club entertained that chap. And I repeated, Was he a citizen of New York? No, Mother, said the Mayor. He was not and a chinaman called lee Wu was also entertained by the officials of new york was he a citizen of new york no mother he was not did they ever create any wealth for our nation no mother they did not said he well mr mayor these are the little citizens of the nation and they also produce its wealth aren't we entitled to enter your city just wait says he and he called the commissioner of police over to his office well finally they decided to let the army come in we marched up fourth avenue to madison square and police officers captains sergeants roundsmen reserves from three precincts accompanied us 
but the police would not let us hold a meeting in Madison Square. They insisted that the meeting be held in Twentieth Street. I pointed out to the captain that the single taxers were allowed to hold meetings in the square. Yes, he said, but they won't have twenty people, and you might have twenty thousand. So we marched to Twentieth Street. I told an immense crowd of the horrors of child labor in the mills around the anthracite region, and I showed them some of the children. I showed them Eddie Dunphy, a little fellow of twelve, whose job it was to sit all day on a high stool, handing in the right thread to another worker. Eleven hours a day he sat on the high stool with dangerous machinery all about him, all day long, winter and summer, spring and fall, for three dollars a week. And then I showed them Gussie Rangnu, a little girl from whom all the childhood had gone. Her face was like an old woman's. Gussie packed stockings in a factory, eleven hours a day, for a few cents a day. We raised a lot of money for the strikers, and hundreds of friends offered their homes to the little ones while we were in the city. The next day we went to Coney Island at the invitation of Mr. Bostick, who owned the Wild Animal Show. The children had a wonderful day, such as they never had in all their lives. After the exhibition of the trained animals, Mr. Bostick let me speak to the audience. There was a backdrop to the tiny stage of the Roman Colosseum, with the audience painted in, and two Roman emperors down in front, with their thumbs down. Right in front of the emperors were the empty iron cages of the animals. I put my little children in the cages, and they clung to the iron bars while I talked. I told the crowd that the scene was typical of the aristocracy of employers with their thumbs down to the little ones of the mills and factories, and people sitting dumbly by. We want President Roosevelt to hear the wail of the children who never have a chance to go to school but work eleven and twelve hours a day in the textile mills of Pennsylvania who weave the carpets that he and you walk upon, and the lace curtains in your windows, and the clothes of the people. Fifty years ago there was a cry against slavery, and men gave up their lives to stop the selling of black children on the block. Today the white child is sold for two dollars a week to the manufacturers. Fifty years ago the black babies were sold C.O.D., Today the white baby is sold on the installment plan. In Georgia, where children work day and night in the cotton mills, they have just passed a bill to protect songbirds. What about little children from whom all song is gone? I shall ask the President, in the name of the aching hearts of these little ones, that he emancipate them from slavery. I will tell the President that the prosperity he boasts of is the prosperity of the rich, wrung from the poor and the helpless. The trouble is that no one in Washington cares. I saw our legislators in one hour pass three bills for the relief of the railways, but when labor cries for aid for the children, they will not listen. I asked a man in prison once how he happened to be there, and he said he had stolen a pair of shoes. I told him that if he had stolen a railroad, he would be a United States Senator. We are told that every American boy has the chance of being President. 
I tell you that these little boys in the iron cages would sell their chance any day for a good square meal and a chance to play. These little toilers whom I have taken from the mills, deformed, dwarfed in body and soul, with nothing but toil before them, have never heard that they have a chance, the chance of every American male citizen to become the president. You see those monkeys in the cages over there? I pointed to a side cage. The professors are trying to teach them to talk. The monkeys are too wise, for they fear that the manufacturers would buy them for slaves in their factories. I saw a stylishly dressed young man down in the front of the audience. Several times he grinned. I stopped speaking, and pointing to him I said, Stop your smiling young man! Leave this place! Go home and beg the mother who bore you in pain, as the mothers of these little children bore them. Go home and beg her to give you brains and a heart. He rose and slunk out, followed by the eyes of the children in the cage, the people stone still, and out in the rear a lion roared. The next day we left Coney Island for Manhattan Beach to visit Senator Platt, who had made an appointment to see me at nine o'clock in the morning. The children got stuck in the sandbanks, and I had a time cleaning the sand off the littlest ones. So we started to walk on the railroad track. I was told it was private property and we had to get off. Finally, a saloon-keeper showed us a shortcut into the sacred grounds of the hotel, and suddenly the army appeared in the lobby. The little fellows played, Hail, hail, the gang's all here, with their fifes and drums, and Senator Platt, when he saw the little army, ran away through the back door to New York. I asked the manager if he would give the children breakfast and charge it up to the senator, as we had an invitation to breakfast that morning with him. He gave us a private room, and he gave those children such a breakfast as they had never had in all their lives. I had breakfast, too, and a reporter from the Hearst Papers and I charged it all to Senator Platt. We marched down to Oyster Bay, but the President refused to see us, and he would not answer my letters. But our march had done its work. We had drawn the attention of the nation to the crime of child labor, and while the strike of the textile workers in Kensington was lost, and the children driven back to work, not long afterward the Pennsylvania legislature passed a child labor law that sent thousands of children home from the mills, and kept thousands of others from entering the factory until they were fourteen years of age. End of chapter 10 Read by Sandra in Wales, United Kingdom July 2006